doctors are part of your um, team of wellness. You can't let them control uh, your wellness. And that's why it's important, for, particularly for some of our seniors, of uh, you know the children and the uh, younger people should go in and be with their parents you know, because some of this can be intimidating as well as complicated. And we need to go in and walk them through it and say, no, you're not going to use my my mother, my father, my grandmother as a guinea pig. And, you know, we're going to ask a lot of questions. We're going to make sure that this is uh, what the science is saying. And we don't do that. We, we look at that white coat and we think of the power that's associated with person that has that stethoscope and the white coat and not understanding that many of our doctors were not instructed properly how to deal with wellness and we need to start challenging and pushing back on that. Hi everyone and welcome to the second to last episode of the year of 2020. What a remarkable year. And on today's show, we have the Brooklyn Borough President, Eric Adams, with us. And we were so lucky to be able to get this interview because this man is busy. He is running around New York and the USA changing lives every single day. Now, some of you might know of Eric Adams. There was a wonderful blog done on his healing journey of reversing diabetes on the PCRM website. So that's the Physicians Committee for Responsible Medicine, another incredible platform. Uh, we had the opportunity of doing an interview with Dr. Neil Bernard and on that show. And so definitely um, head over there and listen to that interview. But that's where I first heard about the Brooklyn Borough President, and I was floored by his story because this man had late stage diabetes, didn't even know it. He was very ill, almost lost his eyesight, and doctors diagnosed him with type two diabetes. Now he didn't know anything about food as medicine at that point, but he did something remarkable that you are gonna learn about on this show and that this one key um, this one key choice, this one key decision that he made completely changed his life, reversed his diabetes and set, up, set him off on a mission to want to heal the rest of America and teach what he had learned to them. So you're going to learn all about that in this show. But before we dive into the podcast, I just want to give a really huge, amazing shout out to Becky DL. Now, she is responsible for bringing this show to life. I get the joy of um, sitting with all of these incredible guests over the course of the year. I get to ask them questions, pick their brains, share their stories with you. And that is the exciting part. But then, of course, to bring this show to life and actually get the technology working, that it arrives in your platform, whether it's through Spotify or Apple iTunes or whatever, however it is that you are listening to this podcast. It could be on YouTube where you get to see the video. Well, Becky DL is responsible for bringing all of that to you. So a huge shout out to Becky because she is the one working behind the scenes. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Much gratitude, Becky. And also just want to give a shout out to my team. We have an incredible team at the Green Mustache. All of our staff that are running our cafes, our franchisees that are running their locations so well to be able to provide clean, real, healthy food to you every day, made fresh, made from scratch. Want to give a shout out to all of them as well because they are on the front lines working with you to make sure that they're meeting your needs of getting clean, real, organic, fresh, whole foods into your belly. I also want to give a shout out to all the farmers that we source from. So I'm sure I'm going to miss a few, but I'll try and nail them. So we have Root Down Organic Farms. We have Laughing Crow Organics. We source our incredible water kefir from Squamish Water Kefir um, from two beautiful women out there who are making those beautiful products to bring to you. We have Spark Kombucha. 
We also source a lot of our organic produce when we can't get it freshly grown in our backyards. Here in Pemberton, British Columbia, we get our organic produce from Discovery Organics, from the organic line at West Coast Produce, um, and from Organic Matters as well. So thank you to all of those companies that are out there you are making it possible for us to be able to get access to all of those small individual farms that may, that they often find it hard to get their produce directly to the grocery stores or get their produce to the restaurants. Well, it's those distributors that make it easy for us to be able to access clean, real, well-sourced organic food all the time. So thank you, thank you, thank you for all the hard work that you do. It's not easy growing food. We've tried it. It's very hard. Not hard, I should say. The sun, the water, the soil, they do that job. But you need somebody who actually can breed the soil, nutrify the soil, know how to protect those plants from the elements in the natural, most healthiest of ways without spraying with pesticides and herbicides and insecticides. So it takes a skill, it takes an art, but not only that, it takes grit because you just got to get out there, get dirty and do it. And so definitely want to thank all those farmers that are out there protecting our lands, growing our food. We could not eat without you. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, of course, before we dive into this podcast, we got to talk a little bit about 22 million. 22 million campaign is our latest project where I will be running and cycling across Canada, meeting with Indigenous and Black communities right across Canada to uncover the barriers to accessing clean, real food. I happen to be in the most fertile region in Canada, so it's easy to grow food here. We grow an abundance of it, but a lot of the communities across Canada actually don't have access to fresh food at all. They have to get their food shipped from long distances. They're often paying $20 to $30 for products that we pay you know, pennies for because of the transportation costs associated with trying to get or food into their communities. And of course, a lot of this food is not, you know, the abundance of fresh fruit and vegetables that we're able to access when we're closer to the cities. So we're going to be meeting with these communities to understand what are the barriers to accessing these foods? What are the barriers to understanding how clean real foods actually reverse chronic disease? And what are the barriers to getting these foods into your, their bellies? So we want to do this because we want to crush the chronic disease epidemic. And we know that communities that can't access clean, real food or don't know that they need to be eating an abundance of fresh, organic, real foods and not the packaged processed foods, but the fresh, real foods that um, we know that these communities suffer from diabetes at four times the higher rate than non-Indigenous, non-Black communities. And it's not just diabetes, but it's heart disease and all the host of other chronic diseases that are claiming the lives of our loved ones. So we want to put an end to that. We're working hard to do that by 2030 to be able to directly meet with 22 million people who have been diagnosed with a chronic disease and teach them the art and science of using food as medicine. So we're on a mission to do that. How can you support this mission? Well, there's several ways you can do that. You can sponsor us. So we have Lululemon and Solomon and Blended for You. We have several companies that are supporting us. We definitely need to partner with several more organizations. And if you are a company that wants to get behind 22 million strong, please email us. Our information is down below. You can connect with us and our team will work with your company to co-create a sponsorship package that will work work for both of us. You can also donate directly to our campaign. We know it's 2020. COVID has completely slashed and burned so many of the grants that are available to so many charities. But if you want to fund our campaign, please know we can issue a tax receipt as 22 million project is through our 20 our, our Sea to Sky Thrivers charity. So please donate to our campaign. Every single dollar goes directly to working with these indigenous and black communities across Canada to and to identifying the barriers and to also then working with government agencies after that to be able to implement the systems that are required so that we can build out the systems to allow people to get access to clean real food. 
So that's what we're doing there. You can volunteer. We definitely need crew members, volunteer members, massage therapists, physios. We need so many people to help us with this driving across Canada. So there's lots of opportunities to volunteer. So please go to our website and fill out the application so that you can become a volunteer starting June 1st next year on the road. Or if you have special skill sets right now that you can contribute to fundraising and communications and marketing and social media, we would gladly take your expertise on to support us on this mission. So that's another way that you can participate. And of course, we'll always accept in-kind donations of every kind. We're looking for a vehicle. We are looking for all kinds of products to support our crew members and our volunteers on this mission as well. So we will never say no to in-kind support. So thanks everyone that has donated and contributed to date. We couldn't have done this without you. Um, and we definitely wanna keep the fundraising going and the sponsorship going. So please spread the word. That is the most important thing you can do, about 22 million strong. Now, we have a host of companies as well that can support you directly. So if you are battling a chronic illness, definitely reach out to us through richerhealth.ca, 22 million, the Green Mustache Cafes, or nicoletteriche.com. Any of those websites will get you directly to me so that I can support you in teaching you and your family and your physicians how to use food as medicine to reverse your chronic degenerative disease. So you do not need to leave, live with those medications. You do not even have to undergo that upcoming surgery because I have worked with thousands of people around the globe to help them get off their meds, have their physicians cancel their surgery, and so they can reclaim their lives and get back to it. Last announcement before we dive into this podcast with Eric Adams is that we are launching our P4 challenge. And this is just a seven day, really simple challenge to get you to understand that food is medicine, to show you that food is medicine and to help you implement these systems into your life over the course of seven days, help you get off the refined foods onto the delicious, wholesome foods that heal your body just for seven days. Why not try it out? It's only $22 and all of the funds will go directly to our 22 million strong campaign. So thanks for listening. Let's get back to Eric Adams. Thanks for being here and for sharing this podcast because you know it's stories that save lives. So share this story with others and that they can be on the same journey as Eric Adams. Now a little bit more about Eric. So Eric Adams is the Brooklyn Borough president in New York City, on New York City, and on his own, he figured out the formula to reversing his diabetes. Now, since then, he's been redesigning communities and setting up systems to support his greater community in tackling the chronic disease epidemic in New York. And across the United States and Canada and the rest of the world. So Eric graduated at the top of his class from the New York City Police Academy. After serving with his New York City Transit Police Department, he transferred to the New York City Police Department, the NYPD. And there he retired after, or with the rank of captain after a 22-year law enforcement career. His next foray was into the public service where he um, went and he was elected to the first of four terms in the New York State Senate in 2006. And from this position, he represented a diverse range of neighborhoods across Brooklyn. In 2013, Brooklynites elected Eric Adams as the first person of color to serve as their borough president, where he is currently serving his second term as Brooklyn's chief executive. So this man went from being in the NYPD to now being in politics and where he continues to make a huge, massive difference in the lives of so many individuals and so many communities. So you're gonna learn all about everything that Eric did from potentially from almost losing his eyesight to now serving his community and helping them learn that food as medicine. Definitely go out and get a copy of his book called Healthy at Last, a plant-based approach to reversing and preventing diabetes and other chronic illnesses. So without further ado, here is Eric Adams, the Brooklyn Borough President. Thanks, everyone. See you at the end. 
Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Eat Real to Heal podcast. I am very honored today to have the Brooklyn Borough President, Eric Adams, on our show. Welcome, Eric. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I love the name of your podcast, uh, you know, Eat Real. We're so used to eating uh, that we don't remember the important part to eat real, real things. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I love that you brought that up first and foremost, because it's the number one question I get asked when I'm on other people's podcasts is that, what do you mean by real food? So I would love for you to tell our <laughs> audience what real food is before we dive into your incredible story. Uh, it's, it's a food that you could identify that's number one. <laughs> you can look at it and see that, uh, you know, you could find the origin of it and not things that are created. And I think one of the most important lessons is to uh, just read labels. Uh, that is something that I think should be taught in school, uh, how to read a label. Uh, and it's things that are coming from our ground that are healthy, that are grown. And one of the things that I find fascinating is that uh, you could put things in your fridge that's real, like try putting carrots in your fridge and see over time stuff starts to grow out of them or garlic or onions. That is saying that, wow, my food is alive. So real food to me is food that is alive or as close to being alive as possible. I love that. Now, when you say alive, one of the other things that I know that because we actually used to call our collection of plant-based restaurants that we have that are all whole food, unrefined foods, but we used to say um, it was a living cafe and people would be like, do you have animals there? But you <laughs> are talking about live, fresh produce for yes. the most part. Yes, yeah. yes. No, cl clearly alive doesn't mean, uh, you know, chopping up your pig or your cow or some other animal. I mean alive as things that were grown and that still have life inside them, their nutritional value to them. And that is my definition of food that is alive. Amazing. And you have a very incredible story. You have done what, you know, many people are starting to do, but at the time when you did it, definitely there was not a lot of information that was easily accessible and especially from practitioners, but you were actually diagnosed with diabetes um, and probably had other um, conditions as well. But tell us about that in your journey to plant-based food, because you successfully reversed this. Yes, and it really started with uh, my mom. I, I saw mom injecting herself with insulin and um, she was a type two diabetic and watching her, I recall looking at her face and she grimaced. And this was seven years after seven years of being injected with ins insulin. Mom was diabetic for 15 years, seven years on insulin. And I said to myself, after leaving her home, I sat in my car and I said, you know, basically it was almost a silent prayer that, you know, God, I'm not a doctor, uh, but I'm watching my mother go through this, a daily, twice a day pain ritual, uh, taking nine medications and just not getting better. I can remember all my life, my mom uh, dealing with, you know, high blood pressure, high cholesterol and all of these ailments that is almost was normalized. And, you know, I, you know, you have to be careful what you ask the creator for, because you'll get it one way or another. And I was out of the country. I had discomfort in my stomach. It later turned out to be an ulcer, but I thought it was colon cancer. And then uh, the doctor, after he checked my, my stomach and my colon, when I came out of sedation, he stated that Eric, uh, your problem is not colon cancer, but it's diabetes. You're, you're type two diabetic and you're in late stages. And that was really for the vision loss you're experiencing because at that time I lost my sight and my left eye. I was losing it in my right. My hands and feet were tingling all the time. A little did I know it was neuropathic nerve damage that could lead to amputation. And the doctor told me that I have to put you on insulin right away I was at a coma level of how high my blood sugar levels were. 
and he stated I have to give you three medications. I went into that doctor's office that day with no medication. I walked out with medication for my blood pressure, cholesterol, three medications for my diabetes, including insulin, medication for my vision loss. I, I was a miniature Walgreens. I had so much medication. And I just went to, I said, I need a second opinion. So I went to five other doctors in the city, some of the best endocrinologists uh, in the city. And they all said the same thing, that Eric, this is your new destiny. And it is what it is right now. You know, you're going to eventually um, lose your vision and you're going to be on medication the rest of your life. And so I love that you went and got second opinions and fifth opinions as well, which is really what people do need to do. But that you were going to general practitioners and specialists who, who specialize in diabetes, but their treatment was, this is it for you, like you're going to be on drugs. So what did you do differently at that point? Because that's a huge leap to go from walking out like a, like a pharmaceutical company, um, your own mini pharmaceutical company, but then taking the next step that you took. So let's journey through that. What was fascinating is that every doctor, doctor's office that I visited, they gave me a pamphlet. And on the pamphlet, it indicated living with diabetes. And when I went to the computer, I typed just one word different. I typed reversing diabetes. And it took me down a different trajectory in a different place. And all of this information came and I was able to just do some reading. I said to myself, listen, I'm not a doctor, but I'm an ex-cop. I know how to do investigations. And you know, God knows I know how to read. And so I just put those normal skills together uh, to come to a conclusion. And true, you know, true enough, uh, there was other information out there, there. There was another pathway. And I reached out to an amazing doctor, Dr. Esselton in Ohio Cleveland Clinic. I read up on the writings of Dr. Barnard, the research of Dr. Greger. And I just went down to see Dr. Esselton and he said food. He says, Eric, uh, that if you change your diet, you can really address some of the symptoms that you are experiencing because you'll be dealing with the underlying causes of your chronic disease. And, and to be honest, I, I thought, I said, you know, what kind of nut is this telling me to stop eating, you know, chicken and steak to, you know, deal with my vision loss, but I had nothing to lose. And I returned to the city and, and I just looked in my cupboard and I started reading the labels and I was like, wow, this is all processed. Uh, you know, a high saturated fat, which is the enemy of diabetics, processed food, unhealthy food. And I decided to just get a garbage bag and clean my pantry and my fridge and just threw everything away. And I started on this new term of whole food plant-based diets and it was the right way to go. And so how long did you have to be on those medications or did you even have to get on them? I, I had to be on for a week because I was at, at such a dangerous <laughs> level of that I could have slipped into a coma any day. My numbers were just so high. And after the week, uh, three weeks went by and my vision returned. Three, three months went by, my nerve damage went away. Uh, the ulcer went away that originally probably saved my life. Uh, it went away, my blood pressure normalized. Uh, and I, you know, after the first week, I no longer needed uh, medicine at all. And I remember the doctor, when I went back to see him for my checkup, he said, you know, the, hey, the medicines re really work well for you. And I told him I didn't need the medicine. Uh, I decided to use whole food and he called every so often when he had a patient in, patient in his office and say, can you tell them your story? <laughs> you know, uh, wow. and just to help other patients understand there's a way out. And so it was really a short period of time, how fast uh, your body wants to heal. We just get in, it, get in, in its way three times a day, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. 
And we need to just get out of the way and let the body uh, do its job. I love that um, there was one point that you brought up about the fact that, um, you know, I know I've worked with a lot of governments and I've been doing this work for, you know, almost two decades where helping people, showing them how to successfully reverse their diabetes, their heart disease, even cancer, autoimmune disorders and everything. And and, and when I meet with government groups, because they invite me in to say, hey, like, tell us about what you're doing. They are so flabbergasted. They can't believe that we're doing this. But they come in with the premise that it's sugar that causes diabetes, when in fact, it is the saturated animal-based products, those fats that we're consuming, often a lot of people breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And you know, part of our mission is to get people to eat more traditional foods. Now, you're African-American. I was actually born in Africa. I'm African Canadian. And when I look at the foods that my grandmother ate, like they weren't eating a ton of animal products. Like those were reserved for ceremonies or if there was a funeral or, you know, it wasn't eaten three times a day. And so when you mention, you know, the getting those, those fats out of the diet, those saturated fats, I mean, that is a really important point that people need to understand. So then what amazes me as well is the doctors, the do this doctor saying, hey, can you share your story? Because that doesn't always happen as well. Often and a lot of physicians don't even follow up when their patients, you know, say, I'm not going to do the medicine, but I reverse my disease with food. So I think kudos to your doctor for doing that. That's huge. So that's a, and that's a very important, <laughs> important point that you just raised, because uh, my mother, as I talked about, mom followed of my journey and went whole food plant-based. And when she sat down with her doctor and she stated, I would like to try to reverse my diabetes. Uh, he stated, if you try to get off medicine, I'm going to drop you as a patient. Mm -hmm. And she had to find a new doctor. And in the process, uh, within two months of going whole food plant-based, a mom was able to reverse her uh, need of insulin and she no longer needed the insulin. And so if she would have stayed with her doctor who followed the traditional uh, incorrect information, uh, she would have, you know, had a lifetime on medicine and you know, the damage medicine can do. She was taking nine different medications. She was taking medic 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 medication for uh, to bring her sugar down, medication to bring it up when she became hypoglycemic. She was taking medication for her kidneys that the medicine was uh, damaging. Uh, she was taking medication for a heart disease, uh, but it was just an accumulation of medicine uh, just to real, really deal with the issues that the medicines was act, were actually creating. And so uh, you have to, one of the most important things that it taught me and it taught her as well is that your doctors are part of your um, team of wellness you can't let them control uh, your wellness. And that's why it's important for, particularly for some of our seniors, uh, you know, the children and the uh, younger people should go in and be with their parents, you know, because some of this can be intimidating mm -hmm. as well as complicated. And we need to go in and walk them through it and say, no, you're not going to use my, my mother, my father, my grandmother as a guinea pig. And you know we're going to ask a lot of questions. We're going to make sure that this is uh, what the science is saying. And we don't do that. We we look at that white coat, and we think of the power that's associated with the person that has that stethoscope and the white coat, and not understanding that many of our doctors were not instructed properly how to deal with wellness. And we need to start challenging and pushing back on that. Exactly. And I know a lot of the research shows that for people who are obese and overweight, people of color as well, when they go to the doctors, there's often a lot of discrimination that happens. So it's just an automatic, like they don't even want to listen to anything that's coming out of their mouths. It's just like, nope, this is a medication. I'll drop you if you don't take it. That's happened to me when I, you know, questioned my doctor about my, when my daughter was, you know, six months old and about an eating plan. And I said, I wanted to her to be plant-based and the doctor's like, if you don't feed her meat, 
you're not going to be my patient. And mm. I was like, a new mom, like who's done. And I came in with research on plant-based eating and the physician said that to me. So I actually had to go to 12 different physicians, wow. uh, pediatricians before I found one who said, a hundred percent feed your kid tons of fruits and vegetables, grains, whole foods, and you know, you can raise a healthy child. And we need that kind of encouragement. And the science is there. The science is there. And it's so important, important to what you're saying, because for those mothers who listen to your podcast, 20, at 20 weeks of gestation, a baby girl inside her mother's womb is carrying every egg she will have for the rest of her life. And the science is showing based on uh, animals, some of the animal research that I've read, that the trauma that we do and the genetic markers that we turn on of bad eating while you're carrying that baby can actually go on to the eggs that she's carrying. So this is generational. And if you're not giving your child the right nutrition, then you are turning on genetic markers that can impact on the health and the mental stability of that child. And so the body is an amazing creation and we have not kept up with the science and the everyday application of medicine in our country. We're doing the same things we've always done just because it is really not comfortable to look at the things we were doing, they're just wrong. Not only are they not allowing us to reach the wellness we deserve, but in many cases, they're harmful to us. Very, very harmful. And it doesn't have to be that way because of the fact that there's so much evidence that goes back over a hundred years, published journal articles showing us that we need nutrients from plant-based sources directly. There's no studies showing us that an animal-based diet benefits us <laughs> at all. So it's crazy that, but it's because this isn't taught in med school, right? So doctors yes. are not learning this. So they're not passing this information on to their patients. So as a politician and having gone through this experience? I mean, what are some of the work that you are doing or that we need to be doing collectively? Because this can't all be on your shoulders. Like we all need to, to advance society in a healthy way together. But what are some of the things that you're working on? And it is, it is extremely uh, exciting what we are doing here in, in several different levels. Uh, and it's, it is so important to empower of families, uh, children and families, parents, because I believe when parents start, when they start connecting the dots between the asthma, the diabetes, the obesity, uh, and even some of the uh, mental health disorders, uh, yeah. you know, not having some of the, the research that's showing, not having the right uh, microbiomes and good gut bacteria how it plays on things such as Alzheimer's and, and uh, autism. And, you know, there's a connection between our food and what's happening to our children and families. The, the new research around uh, psychiatric, nutritional psychiatry, where people are starting to see the connection. Uh, so we are excited here in, in Brooklyn, uh, several projects we're doing, uh, one, what we're doing with our schools. Uh, we are really showing our children. Uh, we started out with Meatless Mondays. Uh, the goal is to have Meatless Mondays through Fridays uh, and really have to start having a nutritionally based education while children can learn uh, using our school environment uh, to really start understanding uh, food, where food comes from, what is the what are the nutritions you need? There's so much we can do in this subject. Uh, in addition to that, we have an unbelievable project at Bellevue Hospital with Dr. McMacken, uh, one of the first of its kind. I know in the city and state, if not in the country, where we're having lifestyle medicine. 750 people are signed up on the waiting list. 200 people are enrolled. Over 225 people are enrolled. And we're cycling people off their diseases, um, off their medicine. And this is just so exciting on um, what we are doing. And it's just showing how much more we can do. And, you know, I, I just completed a book and the proceeds of that book is going to open uh, 
lifestyle medicine ministries inside our churches, our mosques, our synagogues, our temples. Uh, we, we believe that the faith-based institution should play a major role in dealing with the chronic diseases that we are facing every day. Yeah, that's incredible. And you're really speaking to the fact that it has to be that infiltration, right? It's not just to work directly with the people who are sick. It's to work with the, you know, the physicians and the hospitals. It's to work with the community organizations, especially because so many uh, community organizations serve hot dogs and donuts (laughs) and like the food that's literally killing us. And even at health events, they're often serving these foods. And so this message has to get out there to literally everybody. So I love that you're like a spider casting its webs everywhere. Um, which is, and you're so, you are, you are so accurate. Um, it is so funny when, when my doctors or my hospitals, uh, they hold health events. And I get there and I say, you know, are you kidding me? <laughs> this is a healthy event with sausages and pancakes and syrup and, and uh, fried this, you know, uh, you know, we're feeding the crisis. And I'm a, I am a big believer. I cannot tell you what to put on your grill in your backyard, but darn it, taxpayers' dollars should not go to feeding the crisis. You know, we should not be serving healthy foods in our school. We should not have a person go to the hospital for diabetes and we're serving him or her food that creates the diabetes in the first place. Heart disease. You finish going in for uh, a heart issue and you're fed as soon as you get back to the room, the food that caused the heart issue uh, in the first place. And so we shouldn't be feeding the crises. And we do that every day. Every day. And you brought up a good point in the hospitals to the food that they're actually feeding the patients. I remember working with a client a few years ago. She was nine years old. She had a life-threatening chronic disease that could have been reversed if it had been caught earlier. But when I was brought in by the family to work with them and their medical team, they were serving every child on that ward hot dogs and green jello. And I'm just like this, and this is 2018 that was happening. Like this has got to change. So do you, so it is such a systemic issue, right? It ha- we are talking about dealing with how we grow the food, right? It has to be nutrient dense food that's grown in nutrient dense soil. Um, it has to be able to be distributed and still be fresh. So how do you see hope? Do you see that we can get there? Like what are, what's your vision for the future and what are the things that we have to be doing in addition to what you're already doing? And that's a great question uh, because there's, there are conversations around, uh, should it be, uh, organic? Should it not be organic? Uh, There's a lot of conversations. And I believe that in order to get to the right place, you have to uh, evolve to that place. And we first need to acknowledge the importance of of what healthy plant-based food is, because we're still in a debate uh, that uh, doesn't matter what we eat. Is it, it's okay if our children eat a pizza? Uh, is it okay if we have chicken McNuggets? So we first must have a real conversation with health experts, bring the science in the room and say, okay, here is the problem. And once we do that, we can start the process of mapping out a plan of addressing the problem and change our focus from caloric consumption to nutritional consumption. And right now, when I speak to my city agencies, they are about how do I have culturally sensitive food and give people a full belly? And that is not the goal. The goal is the wrong goal. And once we do a clear understanding of where we should be moving as a city on making people healthy and well, then we can engage in the first layer of the right foods to eat. Then we can dig into another layer, what's the best way to produce and grow those foods. And I think science will start uh, to show us uh, better, more nutritionally sound ways to do so. But because there's an absence of an incentive, we're seeing an absence of our minds wrapping around, how do we do a better job of accomplishing the task? Yeah, and you brought up 
a lot of good points there that I love the point as well about, you know, we do have to meet people where they are, but we have to then as well, bring in the experts, bring in the science, do all of that. I was teaching in China. I taught 600 physicians a few years ago in China. I was brought in by um, their health authorities because their politicians got together and said, we have to tackle this type two diabetes. Cause you know, when you have 150 million people with type two diabetes, that's going to crush your <laughs> medical system. Right. So, so they jumped in and they actually said in four years, they're going to by 2022. And this was back in 2018, we're going to crush the, you know, the um, diabetes epidemic. And so they actually are building these, they're like earth ships. I don't know if you know what the earth ship is, but it's basically, like it's like a greenhouse that's built into the earth and then the south facing side faces the sun and so you can actually grow all your foods in these beautiful earth ships tropical fruits everything that you need all year long regardless of the climate and they had about 20 of these earth ships built and it was amazing to be seeing food growing in these cities right under your noses and then of course the hospitals followed suit by gutting the basement of their hospital to turn it into a plant-based whole food education center for their patients so when the patients walk into the hospital that's the first thing that they see like it was pretty incredible what's happening in china so okay oh, 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 now don't you dare leave there <laughs> <laughs> You know, you know, you don't don't start off with something good like that and then disappear. You know, wow, I, I am really impressed because I, I am at this moment where we need to look at best practices. And uh, I, you know, I have traveled back and forth to China about six or seven times. I have sister city agreements with China, uh, but uh, I would love to find out what cities, if you could point me in some cities that are doing, particularly the Earthship, yeah. and what the hospitals are doing. And you know, I, I, I'm I am impressed with China's ability. There's a lot of things China needs to do right around humanitarian yeah. issues. But I'm impressed with their abilities to properly identify a problem and look towards solutions towards the problem and not live in just the lie of a problem. Exactly. Uh, but I would love to, I'm going to do some research, you know, as I'm running for mayor, these are the things I want to talk about. How do we think differently and how do we think in a very bold way? Exactly. And the technology exists. I've seen it in action. So it's not going to take us long to get there. But what we need is that political will, that industry will, we need to really just make the decisions on the ground to say, yes, we're going to move in that direction to the goals of having disease reversal, as opposed to a lot of the goals are just to get people on medications, right? So that we can tackle the diabetes, diabetes epidemic or heart disease or whatever. So it's a very, it's, it's identifying that goal. And I'm happy. I will send you the photos of my entire <laughs> trip to China. Like you will be blown away. Um, mm. Yeah, we are going to get together and chat about that more. <laughs> so you had brought up something really interesting um, before we started recording here about uh, Kamala Harris and yes. amazing that we have this incredible politician, um, you know, as vice president elect for the United States. I mean, it is incredible. But talk about what you we were what you had mentioned earlier about plant based eating. Now, think about this for a moment. Uh, Ninety percent of the people who are hospitalized due to COVID nineteen. Over 90% uh, had comorbidities, pre-existing conditions. Yep. Over 90% of the people who died uh, also had comorbidities uh, and pre-existing conditions. No one talked about and used this as an opportunity to talk about uh, how, do, how do we use our food to strengthen immune systems, particularly during a time when government was feeding millions of people who could not come out of homes. This was a real teaching moment. Uh, how do we uh, embrace you know, the healthy food? Remember my turnaround of my uh, pre-existing conditions of diabetes happened in such a small period of time. So we would have used the moment to introduce people to new food, new spices, new ways of cooking. We would have did a better job of managing COVID-19. We could have dropped the level of hospitalization, the level of deaths, and we would have had a long-term plan of how do we deal with the overall unsustainable health crises 
that we're dealing with. 30 million Americans are diabetic. 84 million are pre-diabetic. We're spending 80 cents on the dollar on chronic diseases. This is not sustainable. And so if we would have used this COVID moment instead of wallowing in the despair of it, but coming out with a creative, visionary approach to it, we would have done a different job. And so when you look at all of our presidential candidates, we have one presidential candidate uh, who was running for re-election who actually boasts about his bad eating habits and sent a mixed message to our country. But then we had the other opponents who did not engage in a conversation at all. Um, how do we start eating healthy food? How do we allow ourselves to be emancipated from the milk, dairy, uh, meat industry, the pharmaceutical industry? They are driving our health care policies. And those lobbyists are at the core of what's wrong with America. And I will continue to say this. If America wants to resolve many of these issues, we have to take money out of politics. We need to make it illegal to have donations from lobbyists, from individuals. We should have public financing so elected officials will focus just on the public needs, not on the needs of those influential, affluent people who are shaping the policies that are really destroying our country. Yeah, and you did bring up a good point there. I mean, with COVID being here and all those com comorbidity factors that, you know, the only thing we saw in the news is how terrible it was for the meat industry farmers um, and meat farmers and producers that they were losing jobs and that their farms were shutting down. But what about the potato farmers? This was an opportunity for produce farmers, and it's so inexpensive to get people to reverse diabetes. We could have done it. We can have done it across the nation um, so that in the last eight months, we would have, you know, millions of people off their meds and really by elevating those farmers who are growing potatoes and squash and collard greens and kales and, and, you know, all of those amazing carrots and, and apples and everything else. I mean, that is truly the medicine that is out there, but it does, you did highlight a really big issue. It's that gap of how do you get the science into the right people's hands who are not gonna be influenced by the meat lobby groups, the dairy lobby groups, and, and how do we do that? That's what I wanna know, how do we do that? Well, grassroots, on the grassroots level, I think there's, we need a real soccer mom approach to educate, educating everyday mothers uh, and inspiring them, you know, mothers play such a, a, an important role on the nutritional uh, outcome of their families. They are they primarily, for the most part, uh, they decide what's on the kitchen table every day. Uh, they decide what products are going to be purchased in the supermarket. Uh, that is my focus, uh, to really zo zero in on my moms and show them Here's what food is doing to your children because mothers have a protective, a natural uh, ability to protect their children. And I think the lack of information is really doing a disservice to the mothers all across America, if not the globe. And uh, there's a great book I just read about the first thousand days of life and how mothers were being educated across the globe in poorer uh, uh, areas on how the food they're eating is causing stunting, is ca causing chronic diseases, is really impacting on the growth of their children. And they're turning, or, turning that around. If we can do that in third world countries, then we darn sure can do it here uh, in this country. Yeah, and that education on the ground is definitely really important. It's why I'm going to be cycling and running across Canada. Like I mentioned, it's, you know, I am that soccer mom. And <laughs> I know well that exactly what you did with your mother, you got yourself healthy first, you inspired your mom to do it. She was able to do it. And I know when one person reverses a chronic disease, gets off their meds, they do inspire 10 other people. And it's why yes. we want to help. 22 million, 22 million people reverse their chronic diseases by 2030, because if we can do that, that number represents 10% of the North American population currently living with a chronic disease that they do not need to live with. It is 
not only preventable, it is reversible. And we know that they'll inspire that 10 people for each person. And then that is what's going to crush this chronic disease epidemic. It's going to save our financial economy. Like you said, 80 cents on the dollar. It's not sustainable to go towards managing chronic disease. And so, yeah, any soccer moms, if you're out there, even if your kids <laughs> rugby or any other sport, you can be part of this too. I yeah, definitely, you need to be part of this. And so um, with getting, um, one of the things that always comes up, especially is, you know, we are living in a world where a lot of people are, they talk about money all the time, that they're poor, that they can't afford to eat clean, real food. Could you just comment on that? Because that's a myth that we need to bust for sure. No, without, without a doubt. And, you know, I tell my friends as they sit across from me with their red bottom shoes or their Brick Brothers suits and their fancy uh, designer handbags. And, and I say, you know, it's about what we're willing to invest in. And I know there are people who are going through economically uh, challenging times. I know that. But what we, we're doing here in Brooklyn, we're taking them into the local stores, the local bodegas, we call them here. And we're showing them their products while we fight to make uh, healthy food accessible to everyone. There are products in your local stores that you can use to make good tasting plant-based meals. Uh, you can look at a steel cut oats instead of old fashioned uh, oats, which spikes diabetes and uh, blood sugar levels. You can look at dry beans and make lentil soups, lentil burgers, lentil stews. Uh, you can look at black beans and black bean burgers. Uh, so there are foods that are cheap. A bag of lentils only costs $2.75. And you can feed a family of four on a bag of lentil for one or two days. And you can be creative in the meals that you do, that you actually make for your families. So we know we have to make food accessible, healthy, and governments to subsidize the cost to get them into communities. But while we're getting there, we cannot allow our health to be destroyed uh, because we're not getting them there. There's a million and one reasons why we can't do it right, but there's only one reason why we must do it right is because our health depends on it. Our health does depend on it. Um, you know, we have a few more minutes here because I know you are a very busy man and you probably have a hundred other meetings to get to today <laughs> and you've got to change the world. And so I don't want to interrupt that, but your your story is really incredible because um, you are someone who's gone ahead. I love that you Googled the word instead of treat, you know, diabetes and heart disease, you looked up reverse. I think that's one of the most important things people can do when they're do because everybody wants to Google and do their own research, but it all starts with what words you choose to search for. So that's that was, good. yeah, really, really powerful there. I also love that you brought up the fact that people can still have their plant-based burgers and sausages. I just made an incredible uh, sausage <laughs> out of Rip Ezelston's uh, cookbook. And we just had Dr. Caldwell Ezelston on our podcast um, a few weeks ago. It was amazing and life-changing information right there. So how do you, what are, what do you want to let the average listener know here? The person who's maybe just hearing this from the first time, you know, they're thinking, man, that Brooklyn Borough president can't be true, but we're going to prove to you that he is. But what are the tips that you want to give to people? How did they get started in this? Because I know it can feel overwhelming when you're used to deep frying everything or frying everything. And when you're used to only eating meat and maybe a few carrots, like as your vegetable consumption for the day. So what are the tips that you have? Oh, oh, one day at a time. And take some time to just read up on some, there's some great information out there. As I stated, I just finished my book, Healthy at Last. Uh, look at Dr. Greger's book uh, and his amazing website, nutritionalfacts.org. Listen to podcasts uh, like yours and hear some of the experts that you are bringing on. And spend a week gathering information so you don't burn out and you don't, you don't get overwhelmed. And I am just really pleased uh, how uh, accessible 
information is now around this topic. It's not like our great grandparents who couldn't find this information. Although it was there, you asked me great pioneers here. But I encourage people to get information and then start and say, I'm going to eat something uh, different for breakfast every day and then move to breakfast and lunch, move to breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, look at new snacks. Uh, you know, one of my favorite snacks that I eat is a frozen dessert made out of frozen bananas, freshly made pe uh, peanut butter, and uh, some other items that are, you know, good. I throw cherries in there, cinnamons in there, and it's cut up fruits, and it's just amazing. And just really open yourself up uh, to uh, the possibilities. The body and the person you know you are is inside you waiting to come out. You just have to get out of its way. Yeah, very, very well said. And for the politicians out there, where what are some ways that they can uh, start learning more about this? I know that they can follow that exact same advice, but you know, do you have tips for them if they are wanting to make these changes in their communities? I, I use the term uh, legacy. You know, you don't want to spend your life in politics just tinkering around the edges and you're never remembered. I spoke to a young man who's a young uh, legislator in uh, Alabama, and he talked about at one time it was illegal, or it still is, but he's changing it. It was illegal to have yoga in school because in Alabama, they thought it was some form of anti-religious uh, practice. And he's now pursuing, uh, finally, he got the bill out of uh, the assembly. The first attempt, they knocked it down. But the second attempt, he educated, built a coalition. And so I tell my elected officials, do the research, see what the foods are doing uh, to your constituency and build your legacy around building healthy children and families and becoming more proactive to resolve some of the underlying causes to why our, why our families are not uh, reaching their full potential. And then pursue it. You know, at first time, people will laugh at you. The second time, people will acknowledge you. The third time, they would admire you for having the guts to say, I'm going to do what's right. That's amazing. Eric Adams, thank you for having the guts to do what is right. You are truly an inspiration. And I mean, I have goosebumps all over me just <laughs> from the hope that uh, of knowing that you're out there in the world doing this really, really important work on the ground, but also at that you know political level, also impacting industry as well. So if people want to learn more, how do they get a hold of you or reach you or get your information? They can reach me at Healthy at Last BK and we respond to all inquiries and I look forward to communicating with people. Thank you. Amazing. Amazing. Thanks, Eric. Thank you. Take care. You too. Okay. There we have it. What an incredible story. Is this man not inspiring? He is so inspiring and he motivates me to want to get out there and do even better work in my community. If you are somebody who thinks about running for politics, becoming a politician, I encourage you to look in your local community because there's so many organizations that are set up to teach you how to do that, especially if you are a person of color, especially if you are a woman, because people of color and women are underrepresented in the political sphere. So if you have something to say, if you have a mission that you want to get accomplished, if you believe in policy, in being able to change your community, definitely figure out how you can play a role. Perhaps you start off with support, supporting a local elected official. Perhaps you simply just get out there and run for a seat on your cabinet, in your Senate, uh, in your local municipality, whatever the system that is available for you to have a seat so that you have a word and you can get out there and support your local community by essentially giving a voice to so many of those people who often feel that they don't have a voice. You get to represent your constituents, you get to listen to what's important to them, and then you bring that forward and that is how change 
happens. So definitely get out there and you can follow in the footsteps of Eric Adams and so many other leaders out there in the world that have made a difference through politics. And of course, you might be someone who's like, you know, the political sphere isn't for me. That's okay. Perhaps you're an entrepreneur. Starting and launching a small business is another way that you can make a massive difference in your community and the lives of so many people by creating a business that serves people, that serves communities, that serves the planet. You have the ability to make so many immediate choices and decisions through the products and services that you are providing, through the products and services that you are sourcing for, through procurement and best practices. Definitely get out there and start a business. I coach and mentor so many entrepreneurs and have done so for many, many a year. If you are looking for a mentor or if you're looking for someone to help you design a business plan and to look at your business from a very acute financial lens, I am that person for you, especially if you have a corporate social responsibility mandate and mission behind your business. I want to support you in launching your idea and getting your business out there. We have several courses available to you, so definitely check out our website. And if you are a nutritionist out there who has no idea what to do with your nutrition certificate or nutrition degree, you might be a dietitian who wants to move more into plant based lifestyles and plant-based eating, then sign up for our nutrition and detox, uh, nutrition and detox course and business planning program. It's a six month program where I will teach you the art and science of using food as medicine to reverse diagnosed cases of chronic disease. And then from there, I will show you how to launch a business and get your first client. So sign up for that program. All the information is at nicoletteriche.com. Definitely learn more about what we're offering there. And of course, support our 22 Million Strong campaign. And I hope to meet you, run with you, bike with you at some point across Canada during our 22 Million Strong tour, leaving June 1st, ending August 15th in 2021. Thanks everyone for being here and stay tuned for our next episode coming out next week on the Eat Real to Heal show. Bye for now. 